Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Daniel, we're your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is Mo DeKeel of the Nerder Shiro podcast at The Athletic and Bleacher Report and One Mo Thing and so many other great insights. And we go in a lot of different directions, talk about trying to figure out the West, Brooklyn's viability as a championship contender, the teams and players that we're most enjoying watching this year. Really great conversation brought to you by Rocket Money. Check out rocketmoney.com slash real GM. I'll tell you a lot more about it soon enough. And betonline.ag. Use the CLNS50 promo code to get a 50% bonus on your first deposit. That's why it's a welcome bonus. Episode runs a little bit under an hour. Lots of great stuff in here. Hope you enjoy it. Thanks so much for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me, Danny. You know I always jump at the opportunity to get to talk hoops with you. You do, and I appreciate that. As somebody who flew cross-country midweek and had not thought about podcast guests, I'm like, oh, I thought of you, and I thought it'd be absolutely perfect. And I, I want to start with you on something that I'm having trouble figuring out, and I often like talking to smart people in those moments to see if you can help me, and that's, should there be somebody who's considered a favorite in the West, whether we're talking regular season or we're talking who makes it out in the playoffs, or is this just something that we're going to have to keep evaluating? No, I think this is something we're going to have to keep evaluating. This is parody. This is what people have been claiming they've wanted for an extremely long time. You know, just looking at the standings, one through six is separated by five games. There's a little bit of a separation, one through three, with Denver, Memphis, and New Orleans. But, like, Danny, do you really trust those teams? I trust like, them I, I trust them as regular season teams. Whether I trust them in the playoffs, we're going to have to see. Yeah, and that's more my focus. I mean it more in the sense of coming out of the Western Conference. Like, sure. the West is wide open. But I can't trust any of the teams one through ten. <laughs> like, that's kind of the way I look at it. This is why the Warriors are still – people are like, well, the Warriors, all they got to do is get – at the right time get curry get healthy they can make a run at it you know so it's an interesting scenario that we have kind of playing out in the western conference where it's going to come down to a lot of things seeding who you're matched up with in the playoffs i think you're going to see a lot of teams towards the end of the season with some shenanigans you know to avoid certain matchups and stuff like that i think it's going to be a very fascinating uh season just the rest of the way i mean we're probably just almost at the halfway mark and i think it'll get it'll get really really interesting do you have a favorite like i i don't i don't and there are always situations you know like there's this this idea of i'll believe it when i see it and uh, and i hope to see it and so for a team like the pelicans they made the playoffs last year but they also were doing so without zion and that is a fundamentally different team the i whether their offense is going to work not not just against one or two teams against four really good teams or three really good teams, depending on how the bracket shakes out. That's a lot to ask. And I mean, going back even the Warriors, when they won their first championship, had had more playoff success than a team like the Pelicans have now. Denver's interesting because I actually think Denver's, so there's a part of their playoff case that is actually stronger than I think some are giving them credit for, and then there's a part that's weaker. So the part that's stronger is their bench has been horrendous. And typically, Two things can happen between now and then. One is you play your bench a lot less in the postseason. You know, you can play your starters more minutes. And so thus, the proportion that that's sinking you is smaller. And so we've seen teams with weird benches succeed more in the playoffs at times. And we've seen teams that have great benches fail. That's actually the more common one. But the other part of it is just, can they defend the best teams at the highest levels? They're playing KCP. They're playing Aaron Gordon, who have both done well this year. Jokic has taken some real strides defensively, but... 
they're facing the Warriors, they're facing the Memphis Grizzlies, they're facing whoever makes it out of the East if they can get all the way to the NBA Finals, like, I'm I'm not going to trust their defense until we get all the way there. So a lack of trust is a, is commonplace as, you, as we've been talking about it. But like, do you, how do you see those two things of the bench and the overall defense? Yeah. I'm, I mean, just to go to the defense point, I'm always going to be concerned about it. And, you know, we saw it in games where teams put Jokic in the pick and roll. And uh, listen, you know, everybody, Jokic has improved. You have to say it every time you talk about Jokic. Jokic has improved as a defender. We get it. But not as a one-on-one defender on the perimeter. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to go back a few games ago to when they lost to the Lakers in L.A. because I got to see it up close. And that's what the Lakers did. I mean, they just put Jokic in a pick and roll, had him switch on to LeBron, and then LeBron went to work. And I think that stuff, he's going to have to figure out how to answer. And in the West, that's a broad range of guys that he's going to end up having to do it against Luka. Going to have to do it against the the two wings with the Clippers, assuming they're healthy. You're going to have to do it against Curry. You're going to have to do it against Ja. You're going to have to do it, you know, against, you know, CJ McCollum. Like, it, it becomes challenging in that sense when you run through that list. So that that itself just that component of their defense is going to worry me and i need to see it in the playoffs how they handle that the the bench i'm i'm not as worried about because you said like you don't play them as many minutes as you do when they can also find some answers too like whether that's signing players or trading for players or just identifying you know it seems like the zeke naji vladko chanchar frontcourt combination has looked better than the some of the other versions and i mean we'll see if maybe jeff green's injury clarifies things a little bit right and i think for me the 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 one weak point of their bench is bones highland he's not ready to be a, a a a high level playoff guy. He can get hot. He can score. You know, he, he he can go completely nuts in a playoff game. I know he can. But the consistency I would need to feel comfortable about them going to the finals, they need to find a way to upgrade that to somebody that's more mature and ready for that spotlight. Doesn't mean Bone Highlands isn't good. Doesn't mean Highland can't get there. I just don't see that happening in his second year of this, you know, or, or, or third year in the league. Like I don't know if that's going to be something that's going to really hold them back or if that's something they got to improve on. I think that's the spot I would focus on if. I were the Nuggets. I'm also worried about Highland defensively in the playoffs because we've already seen teams go after him. He's pretty slight. He'll he'll try at times, but he's just it, it's in. I always get concerned when there's an obvious thing that a team can do offensively against you, and there isn't a really good counter like that. It, and I remember years and years ago there was one where it's like you never want the other the other team's pick and roll targets to be your weak points in your defense you know the idea that if it's a, if it's a one five and your players in the one five and some teams have gotten around that by just putting another player in the action like the Celtics do that all the time where Robert Williams is just defending someone else including we're recording this on Friday a little bit of Thursday where he was guarding <laughs> Frank Dilkina and then they were giving up corner threes that didn't go in so you could solve some of that but if it's just I mean we've seen this with Trey Young like if you could just go after this single guy with a guard who can handle the ball and can you put bones on a three or a four and just try to hide him in a bench unit maybe but against the best teams it's gonna be hard yeah and I think that's where it gets most interesting for the team that's like that's the concern of the nuggets and the the honest truth is we're gonna run through that with every team sure because every because that's the thing about what makes this west so wide open is everybody has hey I could see how they could do it and I could see why they don't do it and 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 I think that's what gets really interesting when and on the how they can do it just to be a little optimistic with the Nuggets because I am is Jokic has been a wonderful offensive playoff player as well as the Lakers I thought the Lakers did a pretty good job playing him in the 2020 Western Conference Finals he was still great 
and like had some big shots and Anthony Davis is a monster but Jokic I thought he did really well and of course he offensively was huge in the earlier series to get them to that point and I think they've like you know the idea that Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray were months away from where they need you know where they'll be presumably physically they'll be significantly better by that point and having good players like Bruce Brown like you can get to some of the combinations that will work against a variety of opponents and Brown particularly his ability to get into guys like I was thinking back I thought he was the best defender on Jason Tatum in the first round last year which is pretty pretty fascinating and so so there are some of those matchups that having Bruce Brown on your team will help yeah for sure and I think yeah the the other thing too is just I'm excited for Murray's second half of the season I think he's going to explode like we've seen flashes of it and we've seen moments where he's he's looked right and then we've seen moments where he's still kind of hesitant I think by the time we're rolling around in the playoffs I think he's going to be rolling I think this is going to be a guy you're going to be looking at going like this is the Jamal Murray we've kind of been hoping we were going to get back after that ACL injury that would be fantastic and it would and Murray was so dynamic in some of those playoff series for the Nuggets back in 2020 and just gives them an element that they don't really have another player who can do it so that that's pretty great for them let's go to the Grizzlies and the steps forward for especially Desmond Bain before he got hurt. And I mean, Jaron Jackson is having this awesome start. We're about 20 games into the sample for him. One of my big questions for the Grizzlies as a playoff team is going to be how much do we trust all their depth guys? Because Dylan Brooks is having a great defensive season. We know we know the Dylan Brooks offensive story, and it seems like that's never changing for better or for worse. And then it's okay, they traded away DeAnthony Melton, Kyle Anderson is gone now. Can they fill those minutes with Conchar, with Clark, or Aldama, or Zaire Williams, or David Roddy, or Xavier Tillman, in a way that keeps them there? And how does John Morant hold up defensively? Yeah, I mean, Memphis, you're you're looking at first, you said Dylan Brooks, who who drives me insane with his shot selection. I know <laughs> yeah. I, it's, it's, it's everything he gives you on defense, he really throws away on offense, in, in my opinion. And I think that's a, a massive problem for them come playoff time more than the regular season. But the the role player question is really the important one because that's the thing. What people don't understand about the playoffs is those are the guys that are the difference makers really throughout the playoffs. Just look at last year's championship. You know, I don't think the Warriors win without Otto Porter Jr. and, and, and Gary Payton the second. You know, and, 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 and they played key roles in ways that nobody will notice. So it's who are those guys for the Grizzlies? And I like Conchar. I think he's improved as a player. I don't know if he's there yet. I think the um, all of those guys, we, Zaire Williams has been out for a while. You know, there's a lot of questions with that. The guy I love the most on that team in the role playing spot is Tyus Jones. I think he's great for them as a backup guard. I think he does a phenomenal job. You know, when, when jaws out kind of holding the fort, they play him with Jai. He does a great job spreading the floor and things like that. I think that's going to be the real interesting stuff. The biggest question though, of all, is not jaws, how Jai will hold up defensively is can Jaron Jackson stay out of foul trouble? And, and that's going to be the question come the playoffs because he's going to probably play more center and that's where he picks up more of those fouls than not i just did a one more thing on him and his defense because i think he's phenomenal defensively but a lot of that comes from him in the power forward position can he do that from the center position without picking up three fouls in the first half or four fouls you know midway through the third quarter and, and really put uh taylor jenkins in a bind 
It's a great point. Also, defending at the four and defending at the five, especially as a rim protector, are fundamentally different. Like you, it's how are you how are you approaching the actions? How are you responding? Who are you defending? And Jaron can do both reasonably well, but I think he has been better as a four defensively than a five. I was talking, you know, we we had John Hollinger on when Nate and I did top prospects this year, and you know, as somebody who was in the room when Jaron got drafted, and his vision was somebody who starts the game at the four and ends the game at the five. I'm still more confident in the first part of that than the second part of it. But the other element, and this gets into the depth question is, let's say Jaron Jackson is good enough at the five against most opponents, against all opponents. You still have to fill, probably it's one spot next to, presumably it's Ja, Desmond Bain, and Dylan Brooks, because I don't think any of them are going anywhere. It's hard to imagine a circumstance other than foul trouble or injury where Taylor Jenkins doesn't have those guys in the closing five. Who is that fifth guy? Is it Zaire? Is it more of a more of a, a four like a Santi Aldama? It, it's an important question because when you think about the concept of a team offensively and defensively and players who are not so amazing that they're, you know, starting, you know, right. it's, it's it's a lot to ask of that sort of player. And it's the component of it, whether we're talking about when the Rockets would go to PJ Tucker at the five or the Warriors with Draymond at the five, that spot is so pivotal because you have to have somebody who does probably ideally a couple of things pretty well and ideally doesn't have an obvious thing to attack because if they did then it kind of negates some of what they bring yeah i think that question to be honest is i think that's going to be a rotating person sure. and there's and and it goes into two different minds right there's a mind where like i want to know who the five closing guys are like that's an automatic thing and, and and everybody always feels more comfortable with that i remember when the lakers won the championship in 2020 they had a constant rotating cast in that closing five. You know, sometimes it was Kuzma, sometimes it'd be Caruso, you know, depending on the situation, how guys were rolling and things like that. The good news for the the Grizzlies is they have a lot of guys they could plug in at different times in that spot. You know, okay, we need to go small. Let's put Tyus Jones out there. We need to go bigger. Let's go with Clark. Let's go with, you know, um, Aldama. Let's go with Tillman. Let's go. You know, I mean, they have so many different guys. I think it's going to be, for me, I think that fifth spot is going to be held down by committee. And I think that's... That's not a good or bad thing. It's just a thing. And I think that's the uh, what, what we have to watch for throughout games. And I think Jenkins will just have to kind of go as he sees it and who's going to fit best in that moment in that game. The other part of it, and, and you talked about this a little bit, but I think it bears emphasis, is who's out there for the other team? Because I actually love, at times, Zaire Williams as a point of attack defender. But if you're doing it with that theory, somebody's going to have to, other than Dill Brooks, is going to have to guard a forward. So is that Bain shooting up? Is that John Morant? And you're just kind of hiding him. So against some teams, that can actually work reasonably well against other teams that's a big problem and what depend also you could do different stuff with schemes whether you want to go man or zone or switch or, or however you want to do that but i agree with you that the committee is going to be the way to do it especially because the context can shift so dramatically with the pels i i think part of it is that we haven't gotten to see them truly at full strength part of it is like who are their best five they'll have a lot of those situationally dependent circumstances and i mean we're hopefully going to get to see zion williamson in the playoffs for the first time so with them it's more it's kind of both parts of the like i'm not totally sure of the theory and i'm gonna have to see it against high level opponents because we just haven't yet yeah and i think the just the most important thing for them is can we see this group healthy i mean brandon ingram's been out forever you know with the toe injury uh zion now out three weeks with the hamstring injury like i just look at it going like you know every time they get one guy back they lose another and that hurts in the sense of that core group of zion ingram and mccollum they need to play together because they need to figure out how to play together 
And I think that's an important aspect of it. And they need time with the three of them on the court at the same time. I think they have a ton of talent. You got to give David Griffin a a, a big kind of hat tip just on the pure fact of how much crap he took throughout the years uh, building this team. And then now you look at this team and you go like, they kind of have everything. Can play big, can play small. They have wing defenders and, and Herb Jones. I think Trey Murphy's, you know, coming along there. I think they got a lot of interesting guys with what they have. It's just, I just, we just need to see put all together. They got all the the groceries Danny I just we just need to see the chef get to work now and put it all together in the in the kitchen and make the stew I think they could eventually run into a problem where they have like all the groceries in terms of overall talent level but that it's hard to put them all together for a great dish like that that they might need to they might need to go over to another kitchen and swap a couple spices and make that make that work but Presumably that evaluation is not going to happen this year, in part because we haven't gotten to see everyone together before the trade deadline for a meaningful time, and also because they're playing really well. And right. so <laughs> you you don't need to up preemptively upsetting the apple cart is often a bad idea, especially with a team this young, because and- they can get better, things can change. Also, a lot of those moves actually involve the bigger players. Like, that's one of the differences between the Pelicans and a lot. To me, if they're going to make moves, it's more, instead of it being on the margins, like we talk about with a team like Memphis and, oh, can they add this other guy or something else? If they're going to make a move that really changes their title odds over the next couple of years, it's going to be probably trading one of their three best players for, and consolidating that with a bunch of the other stuff, ideally, for someone who's really good, but just is, does different things yeah and you're, you're talking about taking a big swing like right, you're like, right, like a that, durant trade or whoever is available like we don't know what that player is going to be but that that is probably going to involve either ingram or cj presumably it's not zion going somewhere else and in part that's because of the salary matching and in part that's because the only way that the pelicans as good as their young talent is i think the only way they can get to a player that talented is through someone who's already established yeah and i think the important thing to note is they've already made all the moves around the margins there's right. no there's no more moves around the margin to make it's you know and and, and i think that's why it's and i'm with you i don't think they make a move till the offseason if they feel like they need to because now it's like hey if we're going to take a big cut it has to be the right swing it has to be at the right time and the right player and there's no reason to rush it this team was a was a playing team last year made the playoffs pushed the suns they also started what was it like one and 12 or something you know crazy like that last last year yeah because ingram missed a bunch of time and everything else like that yeah Yeah. with everything that went with it they're third in the west now like the the you know i think the progression is they're progressing just fine and even if it results in it won't be they won't be happy but if it results in a first round exit but having home court advantage in the first round that's a win for them for for where they've come across and, and continuing that development so i get nervous sometimes Times rushing the timeline, and I don't think they need to be in a position right now where they feel like they have to, at least not this season. So for me, just just watching them, it wouldn't shock me if they make the Western Conference Finals. It also wouldn't shock me if they get knocked out in the first round. They're going to have a tough road because the West is so good. Uh, two other things briefly on the Pels. One is you brought up, and this is correct, that they're third in the Western Conference in terms of record. They're also third in the entire NBA, including the Glass Net rating right now. Like, and when you consider who's been available and not available for them, it's really striking. They do have a lot of three point shooting luck defensively, but they're also doing a lot right on that end. And then the other one is there is one exception to the wait and see on a big trade. And that's if someone becomes available who is a really good fit and either the price is low or you're not sure they're going to be there again. So for example, I've 
I don't know how many times I've brought up Miles Turner to the Pelicans, but it's been roughly a billion. <laughs> Theoretically, if the asking price for Indiana isn't that high, and which I think it is, I think it is, I think it is going to be high. And Turner shows an openness to re-signing in New Orleans, then okay, maybe you have a little bit of conversation because they can't sign him as a free agent. So you could get into that circumstance. It could also be, and this is actually my theory of the case, that Indiana is going to do a renegotiation and extension on Turner with the idea they're going to do balloon payment and then they'll have a reasonable contract that if they want to, they can trade him in the future. And for Turner, he gets a lot of money right now. Keith Smith and I talked about this a long time ago. Um, And so, yeah, if that kind of player, but my instinct is that most of those potentially first, second, or third best Pelicans just are not available because one of the weird dynamics right now is that a lot of the players who fit that description just aren't on teams that are willing to sell right now. I mean, like that's the the bottom teams are a little bit weak in terms of talent and even some of the potential sellers, unless you get into something really juicy like Toronto going in a different direction, then maybe, but even then I think Masai would ask so much that it'd be a challenge. Yeah, and I think, you know, again, like, and there's no reason for them to rush it. If the price is too high, cool. Hey, we took our shot. We're not interested. This is what we're willing to give up. Boom, we can can back away from that. The biggest mistake they can make right now is making a massive trade and it backfiring. Right now they're they're in a good position. They have all of the Lakers picks. You know, the, like they 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 have a ton of assets there. I mean, Danny, we haven't even talked about the possibility they could get Webb Yama. or Scoot. I mean, or Scoot Scoot, like, Scoot would be a wonderful fit there, from what I understand about his game. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 maybe a little bit of a long shot, but still possible. Like it just in that sense. So you know, for them, they're just playing with house money right now. Develop this team, continue to roll. I think if the right they're they're window shopping at the trade deadline is yes. the way I would look at it. Hey, if the right deal comes along cool it's you know we'll we'll look at it we'll jump on it if the if if it, if it makes sense we're in if not no reason for us to act in in that sense if they don't make a trade i still think they're going to be in the same position they are now so i'm i'm not too worried about them in that position agreed lots more to discuss with mo but first a message from rocket money do you know how much your subscriptions really cost Most Americans think they spend around $80 a month on subscriptions, but the actual total is closer to $200 or more than $200. That's right, you could be wasting hundreds of dollars each month on subscriptions you don't even know about. And that's why Rocket Money exists, absolutely fantastic app, formerly known as Truebill. The app shows all your subscriptions in one place, and then it can cancel for you whatever you don't still want. Rocket Money can even find subscriptions you don't know you're paying for. You may even find out that you've been double charged for a subscription, and to cancel a subscription, all you have to do is press cancel. And Rocket Money takes care of the rest, so get rid of useless subscriptions with Rocket Money now. Go to rocketmoney.com slash realgm, R-E-A-L-G-M. Seriously, it could save you hundreds per year. That's rocketmoney.com slash realgm. Cancel your unnecessary subscriptions right now at rocketmoney.com slash realgm. And then I think the other big storyline in the West, I don't think we need to go team by team in some ways because the Mavs, the Suns, and the Warriors, and to a lesser extent, the Clippers are more established commodities. But the other storyline that we're just going to kind of have to keep pending is that, especially with those three teams at the top, let's hope they are healthy-ish, New Orleans, how they fare without Zion, key question there, is due to the Devin Booker injury, due to the Stephen Curry injury, and of course the Clippers are dealing with their own stuff, I think it's very likely that we're going to get teams with the 
best case scenario, and in some ways the established level of play, being higher in the West than some of their brethren, being lower seeds. And we're going to have fans in the arenas. We're going to have all like kind of a normal, hopefully, ecosystem in terms of these playoff series. And so for the Golden State Warriors, we'll use them as the test case. But if you want to use Phoenix, you absolutely could. Is it viable? for them to win three straight series to make it out of the West where they're the road team. Yeah, I've I've had a lot of problems with that. I just don't think it's viable. When you look at the fact right now they're three and 16. And if they're make the playoffs, odds are they're not going to have home court advantage throughout the entire playoffs or the or, or even by the if they're lucky, maybe the first round. But even that's a stretch. I don't know if they're going to go through win three, four series on the road. And I, I just think there's a lot of stuff that's not clicking. They're playing well right now. And, you know, they've they've had some big moments and things like that with, with Curry out. That's pretty pumps everybody up, you know, but Kaminga's come on gr- pretty strong as of late but after that there's not a lot of depth they've the the losses of porter and payton were huge the the they've lost kind of that defensive pressure that i think they were able to build in what really was the the soul of this team all those years that we never talked about and i think i just don't see it i just don't see them being able to go on a massive run if they're going to continue to be this bad on the road i mean they have the the rockets have more road wins than them danny (laughs) as of right now (laughs) like it's 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 nuts you know like come on you know when you look at it the rockets charlotte detroit they all have more road wins you know the magic just has you know one more road win than them it's it's you know i i have a hard time buying into this team doing that and a lot of those games were with steph so i think that's that's a issue for me at least i'm more optimistic than you but because part of it is for me there's I just think of how good a team is, not necessarily the home road splits at this point, though it could continue a little bit further. The depth part that you brought up, though, I think is a fair question. Even if Steve Kerr, Bob Myers use the remaining three months of the regular season and sort some of this out, like Kuminga's played better, DiVincenzo, I think they're doing a better job of finding out where he fits. They're just not quite as good. You know, like they don't have those players. And sure, Steph can be incandescent. Draymond Green, I just picked him as my this point in the year defense player of the year so like you got a lot of that stuff working but winning three four straight series takes a lot it takes you're gonna have file foul trouble you're gonna have injuries you're gonna have to fit everything together and so i think the warriors can't i think they can make it out of the west as the five six seven or eight seed but it's rare for a reason and if for me it's actually a bigger concern for a team like the phoenix suns because i'm not confident in fact you could argue oh, i am confident that they're not as good as they were in 2021 when the Suns made the NBA Finals. The Suns team that made it, they good job for knocking down the, the pins that were in front of them. They did face some real injury luck, but Chris Paul doesn't look like the same player he was then. The depth of their starting lineup and their bench just isn't where it was. So I think they will play meaningfully better. Like I think the Suns' best moments are ahead of them, but... I don't trust them to win. You know, even if even if the Suns are like the four or the three seed, I don't think they're going to get it done. No, I have no faith in the Suns. Like, and 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 I don't mean that to be disrespectful at all. I think we've seen we're seeing the decline at Chris Paul, and you know, kudos to him. It, we've been predicting this decline forever. He's been staving it off, and now it's we're we're beginning to see that. I think the Crowder situation is too much. I think there's a lot of just kind of not good vibes around this team with DeAndre Ayton and guys kind of getting into it a little bit. And, you know, you can apologize afterwards and stuff like that. You can just feel like the vibes aren't that great. And then the hamstring issue with with Booker, who has to do so much for this team. I think that could be an injury that plagues him all season, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think that might take take a long time there. I think they have. 
I mean, everything we talk about the Warriors, they have no depth, you know, and now they have a, a aging point guard that really can't get by anybody, even when he gets the switch of a big on him. You know, I'm watching things where he he'll get uh, somebody on it, uh, a big on him, and then he'll just be like, nope, here you go, Jock. He's handing it to Jock Londell because he can't get by anybody. It's a massive problem for this team. So I think they have a lot of problems to, to areas to address that they're just not going to be able to cover up. There's just too many holes. The most significant question for me about the Suns, and I agree, I agree with a lot of that, is so like this is the part that we're not talking about yet, in part because, hey, they've had the success, Devin Booker's hurt, it's not necessarily fair, is at some point in the indeterminate future, they're going to have a new owner, Matt Ishbia is going to take over, he will have control over personnel decisions, the, the reporting from Windhorst and ESPN about Sarver still having the ability to veto certain things is, is notable, considering we're roughly a month away from the trade deadline is okay so let's say that at least some of this step back from chris paul is real how do the decision makers that are in place when they're in place evaluate what this team is because you have devin booker who's an awesome player he's an all nba caliber talent i i would be surprised if he makes another jump and is into the mvp conversation that's just hard for anyone to do he could i'd love for him to do it hard to do but you have that, and you have Aiton, and you have Mikhail Bridges. So you have a team that, as presently constructed, could be relevant. But you also don't really have a way to replace Chris Paul, like get that extra creator ball handler. You don't have somebody in the offing, which I'm I'm not going to bang on them too hard right now for the Tyrese Halliburton decision. They took Jalen Smith over him. If they had him, then a lot of this stuff would have been resolved. But that's an unusual opportunity. So let's say what the Suns are after, you know, kind of next season and beyond, even if they resolve the Jay Crowder situation well and everything else, is a very good team that is an unlikely NBA finalist or NBA champion. That is, I, I use the phrase defining success a lot, and this it's it, because it's such an important concept for the decision makers to make. And my instinct is that Ishbi is going to be like, yeah, that's still a damn good team. They're still pretty young. They can go work around it. That is not always the way people interpret that. Yeah, no, and I think they... I just don't know where they go next from here. You know, like when I look at what they might do after this season, Chris Paul's still getting older. You know, the 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 backup point guard position, you know, like I don't trust campaign. Sorry. You know, they've had moments from Shamit and things like that. They have young talent, but they're going to I'm really afraid of this team falling back into what they were before they got Chris Paul. And I think then then that leads to questions of, you know, what does Booker want to do? And then that's that's a grand picture. I know I'm projecting and, and speculating of the future, but I think those are very very concerning things that has to be on the radar of the Suns of how are we going to build this team? Well, and it's also the reminder that as well as the last couple of years have gone, you know, they made the NBA finals less than two years ago is it's really hard for teams that are already good to add talent. Like if you can spend like Steve Ballmer, it can be a little bit easier, but even the Clippers have had real problems with this because you're not getting the draft picks that have the real starter equity. You're typically only having the mid-level exception, if not better than that. And you typically run into the circumstance where the players who are making a lot of money for you that could be, you know, that are magic salary and trades are good and important to what you do. So it's hard, it's hard to get there. And like a team that could... That I think is going to end up in that situation as as well and as they played and as exciting as they are 
Bears, the Memphis Grizzlies. And Memphis, assuming they're keeping Dylan Brooks, they've already extended Brandon Clark and Steven Adams. They're very good right now. It's hard for them to get better. And why that's more concerning for the Suns than the Grizzlies is A, the Suns are older, in specifically Chris Paul, and B, I'm not sure their fastball is quite the same as as a team like Memphis. Oh, it's not. It's not even close. I mean, I don't, <laughs> the, the, the Memphis fastball is topping triple digits. I don't think the Suns are, are sniffing that. And I think, you know, they were a couple years ago, but it's just, you know, over time, they've not added the pieces you needed to add over time to build this team up. And I think that's one of those things, you know, they, they made it to the finals. They just, you know, they had a two, they, they, they had a two game lead in the finals. Yeah. And then they, and, the, and they lost it, you know, and I think you're, you're looking at it going like they probably went in there going like, there's not much we need to add. We're competing again next year. And then of course we saw what happened uh, in the playoffs and everything that, that went with it. But I think that mistake was we needed to add pieces and, and, and needed to start looking at, you know, building depth, de- building more, uh, uh, more shooting, more defense around us. And I think that's kind of what let them down. And I think that that trip to the finals, amazing, and you always do it. But I think it also kind of messed up their thinking a little bit on how, how far this roster can go. And that's, it's a great point. And it's a challenge that these teams have to deal with all the time is, you know, like trade, trade-offs, evaluating what you have. Um, You're based in LA. What in the hell do we make of the Clippers? Oh, Jesus, Danny. Um, here, Here's the thing. And I I, I always, I, I want to go like real hard in on the Clippers. And, and and stuff that I'm frustrated with with Ty Lue. But then I just kind of look at it going like, this team has absolutely no consistency on and off the court. And what I mean by that is they don't know night in, night out who's playing. They don't know who's practicing, you know, whenever they do practice. So that makes it impossible to create cohesion and continuity. It's the, like, think about it this way. If you're Marcus Morris, and I'm not a big Marcus Morris fan, but I understand it, the struggles behind it for him is one night it's, hey, Marcus, we need you to be a spot up shooter, keep the ball moving. And make sure Kawhi and, and, and PG are getting touches. And when the opportunities come, take the open shots. And then the next night it's, hey, Kawhi and PG are out. We need you to get us 25 points tonight, you know, for us to have a chance to win. And it's like that up and down the roster. Everybody's roles change day in, day out. And it's and, it, and, and it's a difficult thing there to create continuity, difficult to create cohesion as a and, and, and from a coaching staff. It's difficult for guys to 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 coach. There's certain sets you want to run when you have Paul George and Kawhi Leonard out there. There's certain sets you want to run when you just have PG out there or just Kawhi out there. There's certain sets you run when you don't have those guys, but you can't get everybody comfortable with that stuff because those guys are rarely out there can we just get 15 like this is what ty has been saying just he wants 15 straight games hell danny i'd be happy if they got five yeah with the same lineup like it's just so out of control in that sense and i you know i was very high on them in the offseason just looking at the talent they had and then i just look at this team now and everything we're watching i go like there's no chance they can compete there's just no chance because there's no way they can actually be a team the concept is always has always been stronger than the actuality pretty much for them but then you always have this like one or two other things that just give you pause and so for me right now even after the demolition at the hands of the Denver Nuggets on Thursday night the Clippers are outscoring opponents by 9.4 points per hundred possessions when Kawhi Leonard is on the floor as flawed and as messed up and you're just like <laughs> it's it there's just this siren song with this team and when you think about the over the last decade or two the like powerful wings have been the kingmakers in the NBA whether it's LeBron or Kawhi himself himself or depending on how you want to classify somebody like Giannis and I mean if you want to dig back deeper in time of course you could do that as well but do they have the other pieces around the 
can trust and like do they can they can they put it together and also it's the same risk that we talked about with a lot with individual players of this is an old team that is getting older and so even if they're not the key parts of the ensemble you still need the Nicola Batums and the Robert Covington's you need enough of those guys like I think Norm Powell could end up being a huge part of the Clippers playoff success because you need I would say probably seven players that are at a that are playing at a level that you can have them on the floor for 20 plus minutes a game who are also available and Balmer Lawrence Frank have gone to this theory of basically like try to get as many of those guys as humanly possible and now we just have to see if throwing that spaghetti at the wall how much of it actually sticks yeah I think actually Norm Powell is extremely important for this team I think that's they made that trade last season because looking at this season and what they can get from Norm I think the biggest failing of this team is Terrence Mann and and Mm. the lack of real development of him you know after that run you know with the Utah Jazz where he basically went completely ballistic in that game and and knocked out the Jazz the he 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 gets minutes sparingly his 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 role gets moved around it's like we talked about with consistency there but that's they don't have a lot of ability to to get young talent and when they get young talent they have to develop them very well and really nail that because as you said this team's going to get older this team's i mean every year and we don't know what's going on with Kawhi's health we don't know what's going on with pg on a regular basis this was a guy they needed to develop into into a player Uh, and 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 really it doesn't look like they have and because he doesn't get enough consistent minutes that's a failure on the team as you know from the front office to the coaching staff and that's when i can just pin on them going that was a mistake they needed to develop this guy because they needed this guy to matter way more so that they don't have to go chase a john wall which which that hasn't really panned out you know and and things like that i think those are the problems that you can actually look at and say like yeah that was a big mistake from the clippers and a big miss it has been disappointing for sure Lots more to discuss with Mo DeKeel, but first a message from BetOnline.ag. BetOnline remains your number one source for all your sports betting this season, everything from NFL and bowl season to esports. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup information, player news, and game trends at BetOnline. BetOnline features live betting, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable. It's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite leagues and events. So head to betonline.ag and use the CLNS50 promo code to receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use the promo code CLNS50 to receive your rewards at BetOnline, where the game starts. One quick question. Is there anybody else in the West that you think, you know, we've discussed... Uh, well, the Mavs were we're saying the Mavs are the Mavs, but like the Jazz or the Blazers or the Kings or the Wolves or the Lakers or OKC, any of those teams that you think could win more than one round, like winning one round just depends on where things go. But anyone that, that you think has some has some equity to be a real earthquake team, I think the Blazers can be. Now, let me just start with this. I'm not as high as, as everybody. I wasn't high on them when they went on that run to start the season. Um, I think their point differential is almost even. I think it's 0.8 at this point um, in a positive sense, but basically even. But in the playoffs, if Dame gets hot, if Simons gets hot, it's hard to put those guys out. And and I know defense can be an issue for them, but those guys can score. And the right matchup in, in, in a playoff series, I think they can win a series. I think they have experience behind them with Grant, with uh, Josh Hart's, I think, a great pickup for them. The, the question mark for me is Nurkic at center. But that's a team, it wouldn't shock me if they won a playoff series in the first round, just because they can catch fire. But there's not a lot of teams I have a lot of faith in 
that I look at going like they could win a first round series just based on what we saw of all those teams you listed. I'd probably if I had to pick one would probably be Portland. I think it'd be Portland for me too. I mean, you still have the call of if the Lakers can can get in there and LeBron and AD, that's the best two-player combination of any of those teams, but the rest of it's still hard to figure out. It doesn't look like the Lakers are going to commit significant resources, which would have to be deep feature picks to upgrading right now. I think that's a completely reasonable decision for them. I don't, you know, that would actually be one of the decisions by the Lakers front office that it would support more than the average, but it is a real challenge. For me, the biggest question in the East that I wanted to ask you about is Brooklyn. And Brooklyn, they're currently, you know, if you want to use 538's projections, they're tied for second behind the um, Celtics in there. And if you want to use the stat that since December 1st, I didn't pick this because that was the start of the Nets run or anything. Brooklyn, since December 1st, 13-2 and plus 8.8 clean the glass net rating, which is second in the NBA behind only the Memphis Grizzlies. Memphis plus 10.8 during that time. So I think the for me, the question with Brooklyn is, you think about kind of like title contenders. They're, I like to use inner circle, outer circle, or then not in either. Where, where do you see the Nets in that kind of hierarchy of the East? Yeah, that's a they're the most difficult team to kind of pin down because the thing we're most afraid of is not basketball. We're True. afraid of Kyrie doing something crazy again, right? And 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 putting themselves in a in a bad position. And I think, you know, basketball-wise, I think this team is in the inner circle. I think and, and and I probably wouldn't have said that at the start of the season. But I think when you watch what they're getting from Ben Simmons who, you know, he he's looking like Ben Simmons defensively. I think he's done a good job there. I think as a team They've figured out how to gang rebound, which was their biggest weakness, was rebounding. They've done a great job with rebounding and everything that they they've uh, struggled with. I think defensively, they're really they're, they're actually really strong and really dedicated on that end. And I think that's an important thing. Offensively, I mean, they have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Like when those guys get going, good luck. You know, off the bench, if they can get T.J. Warren to get back in the groove of things, they're they're really going to have more firepower. They have a ton of shooting on the offensive end. It's a defensive end that's that would be concerning, but they're figuring that stuff out to the point where you feel confident. And I think not enough's been talked about the job Jack Vaughn has done as an interim coach. I mean, for sure. I mean, I don't know, Danny, if an interim coach has ever won Coach of the Year, but this might be it. This might be the year. I mean, like he's been phenomenal. And and well, he, I believe he's not interim anymore. Oh, okay, I must have missed the. The that stuff okay um, because um I because I, I think once the Ime Udoka thing fell out then I think uh, yeah, yeah, then yeah. they made him then they made him permanent. but the funny thing is we've talked about that in terms of Joe Mazzula like that that had come up earlier in the season and and I want to you brought up Jacques Vaughn and I want to praise him for a couple of things specifically last year and the personnel is different the Brooklyn Nets opponents played the highest proportion of their possessions in the entire league in transition. The Nets' transition defense was abysmal. This year, they went from number 30 in that stat to number 9. Through getting back more, through playing harder, also through, in certain places, superior personnel. And last year, I mean, part of the reason their defense ended up a version of sabotage was because they weren't in the half-court enough. The Nets are also fourth in half-court defense so far this year. Like, they're doing a lot of these things well. I think of them more as a regular season defense than a playoff defense, especially because, like, remember Royce O'Neal, like, who's who's done well for them, and I want to give Royce O'Neal some credit. Like, he wasn't exactly a defensive savior for the Utah Jazz the last couple of years either, and they only really have one big man that I trust to, like, protect anything. Claxton's done well this year. Maybe they can get that through something else, like through a free agent signing, like a waiver or something like that. So I think of the Nets right now as outer circle, but it wouldn't 
wouldn't take much. Like they they're the outer circle team that can beat absolutely anyone. And honestly, I think they can lose to most anyone too. Yes, yes. No, they have the. It's what I said at the start of the season was this team had the widest variance. It can go from anything of they can win a championship to they can miss the playoffs. And I meant the play into like it was it was the there was no way of predicting it early in the season. And I think, you know, the most important thing is they found stability. And 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 they've been able to stay out of the news for the most part, Danny. Right? Like, there's no stories of discord anymore after the the Kyrie stuff and things like that. They were able to land in, on stability. And if they can just stay there and just focus on basketball, they're a real problem for a lot of teams. I think they're difficult for the Milwaukee Bucks because I don't know if the Bucks can defend Kevin Durant. You know, I think there's there's genuine issues there for them. And I think that's stuff that you have to kind of watch and and keep an eye out throughout the 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 season. The one thing that does worry me about them on just the basketball end it's very tough to play two poor free throw shooters at the end of games and that's what they have in nick claxton and ben simmons yep i mean i don't know if ben simmons has made a free throw yet and he had a run where he wasn't making free throws where he hadn't made a free throw during that win streak i don't know if he made one or not during that stretch but that's a concerning thing down the stretch because those are probably guys forget about the the hack of claxton or simmons situation in the last two minutes, those are guys that are probably going to end up getting a rebound. And then that's just an immediate foul if you're a smart team because put them on the line. That's, you know, let's let's go from there. And I think that's something that's really concerning and would be the one thing that worries me on the basketball end for them. I'm really happy you brought that up. And, and especially because, like I, I, brought, I brought up earlier in terms of Bones Highland defensively, it's such an easy tactical thing to just tell players, hey, Ben Simmons gets a rebound and they're in the Bones, foul him. Simmons made a free throw on Wednesday. That was the first one he'd made since November 25th. That's suboptimal. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's just not good. That's just, I mean, no, I mean, like, <laughs> that's a yeah. disaster. Just by fluke and odds, you think you'd make one of them. <laughs> yeah, and he hasn't had that many, but it's, I think it's more than 10 that he missed in the intervening time. And that's, yeah, and as you brought up with Claxton, the other problem for that is, let's say you pull one or both of those players in specific circumstances, do you have enough other players that you, that you get to? And that's part of why TJ Warren can be really important for them conceptually. And I, I still really love you to Watanabe like that he, he could potentially be fit I'm more a believer in in the forward kind of depth guys than I am the guard ones I mean Seth Curry is obviously a very good player but like Sumner and those types of players will get there and then we'll see if Joe Harris can actually be healthy at, at some juncture in the season to be kind of a factor in this but the Nets it, it in a way it's kind of like the Clippers except I actually like some of the Nets depth guys better of the throw a bunch of spaghetti at the wall we'll see who sticks as a playoff player and it could be very situation dependent but, you know, if I'm having to pick between TJ Warren and Terrence Mann or Robert Covington or Marcus Morris, I think I'm taking TJ Warren. Yeah, no, I, I'm actually with you on that. You know, I, I don't trust a lot of those guys on the Clippers roster, you know, in, in, in that scenario. And, and, you know, as long as TJ continues to progress and, 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 and keep getting healthy, I think that's a real threat for them. That's a real weapon for them coming off the bench. And I think that's something that if they can get right by playoff times, he's going to pay massive dividends. Not just because of Donovan Mitchell's 71-point game, but also, I mean, the Cavs overall this year, fourth in net rating. They've also had some absences. I mean, Garland is, is missed some time, and, and Mobley missed some time, and others. And Jared Allen missed some time as well. Um, are we underselling them as a potential threat to the, to the teams that are more established in this top tier? 
I think so because they do it on both ends of the court. I think, you know, they have a I mean, they have a guy in Donovan Mitchell who at the end of games can can really take over as he's shown uh, this season. And he's playing a lot better defensively in terms of effort and, and giving more uh, more oomph on that end. And I think it helps because behind him having Jared Allen and uh, Evan Mobley helps a ton in that area. I think Darius Garland's still kind of underrated for the most part, but I think he's he's a massive bit. It's that big hole, Danny, at the three spot. And I think, you know, it's we talked about this on Nerder. She wrote with Seth Parnow and Dave Dufour a few weeks ago. They don't have to get like a dude at that spot, but they got to get a guy that can just be a, th- a, a, a legitimate just three and D threat. And not and and you know I like Dean Wade. He's not there. I don't think Harris Levert's that guy. You know when you're putting out guys like Lamar Stevens and that stuff, that that's a big hole. And I think those are the guys. That's the one area if they could find one guy. It doesn't have to be a big name, but just a guy. Almost like if Danny Green didn't have the ACL injury, like if they could just find one guy that could fill that role, just, I would have no problem saying this team can win a championship. I think that's the one thing that's holding them back. But they have nice wins. They've beaten the Bucks. They've beaten the Pistons twice in overtime when the Pistons offense was really rolling and not struggling the way it has been uh, for, the, for the most part in December. I think, you know, this is a team that has a ton of stuff. And I think if they could just find that one that one small piece, it's like a pebble almost. But if they could find that and put that in the, in the roster, I think then you're going to really look at them going like, damn, this team has a legitimate title chance. Even though Mitchell's taken a step forward defensively, I'd also like to see them, you know, kind of like a low-level thing, get a point-of-attack defender who can really get in. Guys, like, think about... I, there aren't that many Jose Alvarados, but if they could have somebody like that in the rotation, there are teams that you can hide guards on wings because their wings aren't very dynamic. Like you could, incidentally, the Cavs are one of those teams. You could do that. I don't think that you give up a lot of treasure to make that part happen. I wish they could have found somebody in the draft or something else. But then you're right, the, the wing defender. And Nate brought this up because we did a game, we did a version of a gamer on that contest where they lo- where they lost the Brooklyn Nets. Is that the Nets specifically are a really tough matchup for Cleveland? because KD and Kyrie, very, very hard to defend. And they're not trying to get into the teeth of what Cleveland does so well defensively. That's just not how they operate. Kevin Durant, like, I right. don't know if you saw the, the, I think it was Synergy had that of like the player who has the best shot making from each zone now that they're doing some shot quality stuff. And it, the mid-range is just all Kevin Durant because he's been ludicrous there this year. But you don't downgrade a team because one potential opponent is a specifically bad matchup. You think about how that, how that affects things overall. My instinct on Cleveland for this year is that when we're talking about the best of the best, which is a much narrower field, I don't, I think they can beat a lot of those teams. I don't expect that they will, but you think about what this team could be next year through internal improvement, Kobe Altman BAB being more willing to throw some of their resources at the identified problems. Then we start really getting into that mix. However, I will note this, knowing what I know right now, I trust Cleveland conceptually more as a playoff team than I trust Philly. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I mean, just the big thing with Philly too, what we're worried about is just James Harden's performance over the years in the playoffs. Like it's a, it's a concerning issue with that. I think Cleveland has more clear idea of who they are, what they want to do, how they want to get there and everything. I think the, the Sixers kind of have that and kind of don't at times, you know, are you really a post-up team or is it hard in time? Are you, you know, what's, what's going on once Maxie's back, you know, and what, can you play Maxie and Harden at the same time and feel confident about your defense? Like there's genuine questions that Philadelphia still has to answer and they haven't been able to because Maxie missed a lot of time with that foot injury and he's just getting back into the lineup. They found something, I think, in the Anthony 
Melton moving him into the starting lineup, but it, it's is that something that you're, you're going to stay with? And is Maxi just going to become a super sub? I, I mean, there's a lot of questions there in Philadelphia. I, I'm with you, and I've, and that's not to say I don't think Philly can win a championship. I think they got a lot of talent there. I think they can make it work, but I think I'm with you, and I think I would rate Cleveland just above them. Yeah, and I'm not saying it's an easy call. It's 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 a close call. And Joel Embiid, if he can be that guy, can can devastate and be the best. Hopefully, he can be the best player in a playoff series. I'm th- I would love for this to be the year for that. Last thing I wanted to ask you, I know you have a passion for this. Is are there any teams or players right now that somebody who maybe maybe they watch a little bit of the league, maybe they have their team. You're like this. This is a really fun watch right now. This is a player who's a story. Just like hey, keep an eye on that. I have one or two if you want to think about it. The one I have, it's pretty obscure but I can't take my eyes off the Orlando Magic. I love love watching Franz Wagner and Paolo Banchero play off of each other. I think just just that whole thing, I think uh, Jamal Mosley's done a great job with that team and that roster. I think Bull Bull's a lot of fun. But I think go, you know, we're recording it Friday morning. I mean, this team nearly came back on the Grizzlies last night. I mean, it was a fake comeback. And, and you know what I mean by the, you know, they weren't ever really threatening. But Bonchero with tw- uh, with 20 points in the third quarter and Wagner with, with, with 19 in the fourth. Like, it was really an impressive run in the second half. They're just a fun team to watch. Another fun team to watch is the Indiana Pacers. I, I mean, the, the, way, the way they play so aggressively. And Indiana, I, I don't, it bothers me most of the time, but the fact that Halliburton starts and does so well and then Matherin comes off the bench actually makes them kind of watchable at a lot of different times in the game. So you can, you know, if you want to have have them as the secondary and you get a little bit, bit of Ben Matherin when it when they get into mixed lineups, that's pretty fun. But Halliburton's been fantastic. And then... Oklahoma City can be frustrating at times. Like you, you have fun OKC games and you have frustrating OKC games. That's just the way it works. Like I remember that game against the Knicks was one of the more bizarre, satisfying ones I've watched this year. Shea Gildas Alexander has been absolutely phenomenal, and it's you're getting more of the glimpses of what he is right now around a team that isn't conducive to maximizing and how great he has been on a team that needs so much shooting and that is actually defending reasonably well despite still needing their needing to add the players who will give them their true high-level defensive identity. Like, OKC, you watch a little bit now, and then you try to get a snapshot of it, and then a year or two from this point when they add some of these players, ideally Chet Holmgren and then whoever they get in the draft this year, they're going to have a ton of cap space at some point in the future. That it's worth watching them a little bit to get to get some investment now and their young guys are intriguing at bare minimum yeah no i mean i think this they're a fun watch with everything i think you know when you're watching what shay's doing i mean this is this is actually i understood why all the tanking all that stuff but this is what frustrated me with them constantly cutting his season short i thought this is a guy that could do these things and i and i and i believed in him in that mold and i was always frustrated that they would only play him 30 games and you know go back to tanking and things like that i want to see him play the full season and see if he could sustain this because that's a dude right there that's a guy you're looking at and you're going like that's a guy you can really build around and i like what they're building as a roster another team i want to throw at you danny they're just i think they're a little bit north of you sacramento north of you or south of you it's more east than more east okay more east of you uh sacramento kings they're fun Super fun. I mean, just just across the board, you know, De'Aaron Fox has done a good job. I think uh, what him and DeMontis Sabonis do offensively for that team is 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 a lot of fun to watch. I think Mike Brown's done a great job. Um, and just more importantly, the beam is awesome. <laughs> like, it's just a great idea. I love it. I I I I I enjoy all that stuff. So uh, they're they're definitely one of those teams that's a fun watch. Wholeheartedly agree. Also, a reminder of how much fun adding more shooting can make a team. 
because like Herder, I mean, they have a lot of support players that are just drilling the ball overall, and that's making life easier on Fox. Sabonis has done a really nice job there, and the defense hasn't been everything that we were dreaming of, but they're they're still doing well enough to play a lot of fun games. I think they're going to be, you know, I, I was I was lower on them mostly because they've been poorly run for such a long time and everything else. I think they're firmly going to be in the play-in mix, potentially the playoff mix, depending on how not only things fall for them, but some of these other teams. Like that's that's kind of the peril of being in that area is you know the uh, as the Blazers get healthier and everybody else. Like we'll we'll see where things where things go, but they are an absolutely super fun watch overall. And I know you and I could talk about these teams and players that we love watching for another oh. <laughs> five hours, but I'm going to leave it there. And thank you so much for coming on. Oh, no. Thank you for having me, Danny. Thanks again to Modekiel for taking the time to come on. You can listen to him on the Nerdish Hero podcast and overall at The Athletic, which is fantastic. And he writes typically for Bleacher Report. And you can also follow him on Twitter at Modekiel NBA, M-O-D-A-K-H-I-L underscore NBA. And connect, I mean, does great work on Twitch. One more thing is fantastic. And you should check out everything Mo does. He's great, and his enthusiasm is absolutely infectious. If you want to support Real GM Radio, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. You can subscribe to the podcast in the podcast player of your choosing, download every episode, whether that's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, really wherever. Really do appreciate that. And Real GM Radio is never going to come out on a specific day of the week. So subscribing is the easiest way to make sure it pops into your player. You can also help other people find the show. That can be leaving a rating and review in the podcast player of your choosing. That can be word of mouth, social media, however you want to do it. Really do appreciate all that. But the single most important thing for this podcast and any other that has them is to check out our sponsors. For us, that is Rocket Money, rocketmoney.com slash real GM. You just go to the URL, check it out, and that tells them that you came from us. This isn't a promo code or anything like that. It is a URL. And then betonline.ag, use that CLNS50 promo code. There it's promo code for a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. And with both those, it tells them that you came from us. So hopefully they continue advertising on this fair podcast. You can also check out my other work, Dunked On and Dunked On Prime. Going strong, we, Nate and I took a little bit of time, a little bit of a reduced schedule around the holidays because we were both traveling and everything else. But we're back, did a gamer last night, g- going to do a 15 and 60 on Sunday. And also the NBA strategy stream, which has been so much fun so far this year. We did that fascinating, partially delayed Celtics Nuggets game on New Year's Day and then now we're going to be doing Knicks Bucks on Monday, which should be a whole lot of fun and have a little bit of a different, we'll have a different element. I don't think it's ready to be announced yet, but we will have something a little different in the broadcast on Monday. So you can keep an eye out for that when it gets announced. And you can also check out my written work at The Athletic. I have a couple pieces in process now. I'm a little behind because of the traveling during the holidays, but those should be coming around quickly. And as far as I can recall, that's really about it. Um, if you have any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the way to get to me. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. That's an absolute promise. I try to reply. I'm not the greatest at it. I acknowledge that at the outset. And that is all for now. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. Mm-hmm.